Exalt your holy name as we praise you, Father. I just expect and I know that you are in this place, that you're in this place, Father God. And in, the, in your presence, there's the fullness of joy. In your presence, there's everything we could ever want, everything we can hope for, everything that we'll ever need. Our deliverance that we've been asking for is in your presence. Our provisions that we've been pleading with you for is in your presence. Our healing that we need is in your presence. Lord God, we just thank you for that. We want to enter into the court, enter into the, the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that spoke the universe into existence. Father God, we want to enter into that place because you said that we could. Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, that he shed it on the cross so that we can come into the throne room and worship at your feet. We don't have to go through someone else, but Lord God, we can worship at your feet. We can stand before you, we can bow before you, we can dance before you. We can praise you, Lord, and that's what we want to do this morning. With every word that comes out of our mouth, Lord, we want to lift you up, Father, in Jesus' name. And we just thank you for all those things. When darkness tries to roll over Sorrow comes to steal the joy I hold. With brokenness and pain, it's all I know. And I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand the chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand the chance when I stand.
the truth and the life.
Join with the angels and we sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, is to come. You are holy, Father. You are holy, God. And if we ever consider you anything less, God, convict us, Lord. Convict us, bring us to our knees, God, if we ever forget that you're a holy God.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Come on, church. Let's fix your gaze on him this morning. Fix your gaze. One more time. You're holy, God. You're holy, Lord. We just turn our attention to you. God, we turn our attention to you. God, you are holy. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, God, that we can come and we can commune with a holy God. We can come and commune with a God who loves us, who restores us, who redeems us. Thank you, God. You are so holy. You are so awesome, God. Lord, we worship you because you made the atoning sacrifice for our sin, God. We glorify you. We thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, God. We worship you. Yes, God. Yes, God. As we look upon your face, as we look upon your glory, God, we worship you in all your goodness, the creator of the world, the sustainer of the universe, powerful enough to do anything, but personal enough to do it for me. Thank you, God. We remember who you are this morning. Jesus. Jesus. Let's focus on that that thought this morning. As the ushers are getting ready with the elements, we're going to take communion this morning. And at Life Church, we practice open communion. And what that means is the only requirement we the, that we have is that you've had a born-again experience with Jesus, that your life has been changed, and you consider him to be Lord and Savior. So the the ushers are coming with the elements right now, and they're they're passing out the bread and the juice. And and I'm going to read a piece of the text in a moment before we take part in communion. But man, that's the most important fact: is that God is holy. And we are not. They were born into sin, but we get to have fellowship with the Creator because Jesus paid the price. Because Jesus paid the price for our, He paid the atoning work for us to have fellowship, reconciliation, restoration. And so I want to focus on that. And as the musicians play and they just sing that chorus softly, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that do not take the Lord's Supper with any offense in your heart. And so we're going to take a moment and we're going to just reflect. I just want to take a moment and reflect on our heart. Maybe you have unforgiveness. Maybe you have an offense in your heart towards an individual. Jesus said, if you go to the altar and you have an offense, leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile. And so let's do that this morning. Let's reflect on our life. Let's reflect, God. holy and the only reason we have access is because 
what we're celebrating this morning, the Lord's Supper, the blood that Christ shed on the cross. The blood that Christ shed gives us access to the Creator, gives us access to God, gives us fellowship, gives us reconciliation, gives us identity that we are children of the Most High. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, Verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover before I suffer. It goes down in verse 17. He says, after taking the cup, Jesus gives thanks and said, this, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, saying, this is the body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it away. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it away. Jesus was blessed, broken, and given away for us. This morning, God, we just thank you. We do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. We serve you as Lord, as King. Jesus, you paid the price in order for us to have redemption, reconciliation with God. We ask you to forgive us, and we do this to celebrate that you're coming one day, that one day you're coming for a bride, you're coming for a church within a church, and we honor you. Take the bread together. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's the blood of Christ that redeems us. It's the blood of Jesus that reconciles us. It's the blood of Jesus that washes away a multitude of sin. Father, we thank you that your blood covers the multitude of sin. Though our sins be like scarlet, your blood washes them white as snow. And you give us access to the Father. You give us access to the throne room. We worship you. And we ask you to cover us and forgive us in Jesus' name. Let's take the cup together. This morning we're going to pray. And at Life Church, we believe in prayer. And this morning, I'm going to lead out in prayer, and, and, and you're going to help me. And, and we're going to pray this morning. I have three topics. We're going to pray for healing and deliverance. We're going to pray for the restoration of families, that families would be restored and, and reconciled together. And also, we're going to pray, lastly, that God would pour out on a, a revival, awake and an awakening for individuals who are lost and broken. Are you ready to pray this morning? Father, we come before you today and we honor you, Jesus. God, we ask you to bring about healing and deliverance in people's lives. God, there's individuals in this place right now that need deliverance. There's individuals in this place right now that need freedom. And we ask you, Lord, to bring about freedom. Lord, we ask you to set free those that are in bondage. Set free the captives. Jesus, you said the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to bring about deliverance, to set the captive free. 
God, and I pray this morning that people would receive freedom from sin, freedom from bondage, freedom from drugs, freedom from alcoholism, God. Lord, we pray that you would set people free from the besetting sin that holds them back from their destiny, God. You would set us free from 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 laziness, God. You would set us free from being lethargic, from being from from being apathetic, God. God, set us free. Set us free so that we can walk in total healing and total restoration. Heal our body emotionally. Heal us spiritually. Heal us physically. Maybe there's individuals that struggled with abuse. Heal that right now. Do that healing right now, God. Free us from depression. Free us from anxiety. Bring that right now. Break free from that in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would restore families. There are families that, that despise Thanksgiving because there's so much strife. There are families that are that are so broken and so in, in discord. God, I pray you bring reconciliation to families this morning. God, you bring unity and reconciliation to families, Lord. God, I pray that you would restore sons and daughters prodigals that are far from you, sons and daughters that are living in sin and they're far from you, oh God, call them home this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, break through the unforgiveness, break through the years of bitterness and resentment. Father, we pray that you restore families. You restore families and bring reconciliation. And lastly, Lord, we believe in revival. God, we believe that you want to revive your church. You want to revive your people. God, you want to awaken lost people. Jesus, you didn't come to clean the church up, but you came that dead men may live. And I pray that you awaken dead bones. You awaken spiritually depraved people. You bring in the lost, God, so that their lives can be changed. They can be reconciled to God the Father. They can be redeemed and healed, oh God. Lord, we pray that there would be an awakening and a revival that the history books talk about. God, there would be an awakening and a revival like the Acts 2 church. There would be an awakening and a revival that would shape a nation, change the moral atmosphere of a nation, God. We're believing for it. We know that you're the God who lays flat mountains. And we worship you for that this morning. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen, 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 amen. Hey, why don't you tell somebody hello, greet them as you find your seat this morning. Well, good morning, Life Church. It's so great to be here. We want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. We're glad you joined us this morning and you're with us. And everybody who's in service, good morning. It's so great to see you. How are you this morning? Awesome. Great. Well, good morning. It's so good to be here and to see all of you here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, if this is your first time, I want to welcome you. I want to take this time to welcome you to service. We're so glad you're with us. If this is your first time, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and, and I want to formally welcome you. If this is your first time, after service, if you'd visit our makeshift welcome center in the center of the lobby. Hey, listen, we're in progress. How many of you 
We're shocked about the lobby. How many of you love the lobby this morning? Yeah? Great. Well, listen, we're in the progress of doing some upgrades, doing some revamps, and so we kind of got a little table. You have to pretend. How many of you got imagination? You can pretend with me. That little table in the, in the auditorium, in the foyer, I'm sorry, that's the welcome center. That'll be the welcome center this morning. If this is your first time, we've got a special gift for you. We want to get to know you. We ask that you fill out a connect card so we can help you find your place in the kingdom of God and help you find that special fit in our family. Hey, listen, everybody desires to belong, and you belong here at Life Church. I do have an announcement. I want to remind you guys that on August 26th, we are going to be launching groups. We've got sign-up sheets at our makeshift welcome center, our makeshift welcome center. We've got sign-up sheets uh, with the geographical locations. We've got groups launching in Youngsville. We've got groups launching in Maurice and in Acadia Parish. And so they are going to be launching on the 26th and they'll be holding them Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So you have several opportunities to be a, be a part. You'll be afforded several opportunities to, to connect with somebody, to visit a group. And so we'd encourage you to visit the um, Man, help me this morning, Lord. <laughs> Visit the Makeshift Welcome Center, sign up for groups, and choose a group, get connected, and commit to being consistent. Because listen, I believe this is the best thing since sliced bread. Come on. I believe it's the second best thing since electricity and AC, and we need it down here in Louisiana. Listen, it's going to be a great opportunity for you to connect with somebody. It's going to be a great opportunity for you to grow in your faith and to, and to go deeper with the Lord. So that's going to be launching on August 26th. That's about two weeks away that weekend, and, and there'll be groups going all throughout that weekend, we're going to run it for 12 weeks, which is just the second week of November, and, and then we'll take a break throughout the holidays. So uh, you want to check out the Welcome Center, sign up, get connected. Also, today we've started our week long of prayer and fasting. So we've called the church to a fast that's going to be from today. You might say, oh man, I forgot. I got a big lunch cook. That's okay. There's still time to join. Or you can skip that meal too. But nevertheless, fasting is when you set aside time where you say, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to set aside this time in order to seek the Lord, in order to uh, hear his voice, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer. So we're calling the church to a fast this week. Um, you know, there's different types of fasting. There's partial fast when you might just skip a meal. There's an absolute fast. When you just completely drink water, and then there's the Daniel fast, when you eat vegetables, all that green stuff, the lettuce and stuff. You just live on that for however long you decide. But you know what? We're fasting because uh, our Ignite conference is, it starts Friday, and we're believing that God's going to move, and we want to get flesh out of the way. We want God to move powerfully in our life, so we're calling you to a fast. It's not too late to join, and if you've never fasted before, Man, you're in for a treat. <laughs> no, I believe, man, I believe in fasting. I believe in fasting. I've seen God do powerful things in my life through fasting. If you've never fasted before, I encourage you, try it out. Like it's something off a breakfast bar. Like just try it out. <laughs> you could try it. No, God's going to deliver you from all types of things. God's going to do powerful things in your life. And you'll look back on this time and you'll say, you know what, man, my life has changed trajectory because I fasted. That was a good word, huh? Hey, 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Hey, at Life Church, we've got boxes on the back wall. We've got a text to give feature. We've got a giving feature on our website. And we've got a Life Church app. And we've afforded you every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving. So we want you to be afforded every opportunity. All right? Hey, listen, turn your attention to the screen. I've got a video for you this morning. When you look at the declining educational standards, the high crime rate, uh, the disintegration of our families, the, the record rates of drug overdoses and suicides, exploding homeless populations, the gun violence in our cities, the racial polarization, it's hard to, to have hope. Things look scary. But I say, there is hope. Generations before us survived wars, frankly speaking. I mean, they had world wars and economic depressions. They had natural, natural disasters, they, pandemics. They survived. I say we can do it too, okay? But first, we, we cannot change what we refuse to face. So that's where we start. And secondly, we're we gonna have faith. Faith is the substance of things we hope for, the evidence of things we cannot see. What do we hope for? Racial harmony. We hope for healthy families, safe cities. It, it is hope that births new dreams. <laughs> so, so faith, is that it? Mm, no. Faith without works is dead. It means that real faith causes you to do something. Real faith says, you know what? I'm gonna reach out to invite this white guy, this white neighbor of mine, for a cup of tea because I refuse to believe that he is irredeemably racist. You know, real faith says, calls his son and says, son, son, your estranged son, son, I, 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 I didn't know how to be a dad. Will you allow me to try again? Real faith means we roll up our sleeves and choose to rise from the vestiges of hopelessness, of victimhood, of, of apathy, of tribalism. Real faith says together we can daringly turn a page to a new future. How many of you ready for this weekend? I'm telling you, I'm so excited about Dr. Dennis coming. And then I got a phone call just a few days ago. And uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Brother Robert Solomon, his picture's up there. I put it up there for you so you know who he is. I've been knowing him for many, many years. He's traveled the world. He was uh, thrown on the trash heap of a pile of garbage in India. Mark and Hulda Buntain and their ministry in India found him, raised him through their program. He has now traveled the world in ministry. And he called me this week. He said, Pastor, he said, uh, I feel, I, 
I didn't have anything coming up this weekend, and Dr. Dennis called me and said, hey, bro, why don't you just come with us to Lafayette? Because I'd already told Robert when I saw him a couple weeks ago, I said, dude, we lost touch. I said, I want you to come, and we're going to do a missions, um, like, convention type thing, and I want you to come and tell your story. But Robert is an incredible singer. He can go from this octave to an octave of, it's, it's mind-boggling, but anointed. And so he called me, he said, brother, he said, I'm coming. He said, I'm going to be there. I don't know how, he said, so is that all right? And I said, absolutely all right. <laughs> and I said, <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> I'm just feeling like God's putting this, you know, whole thing together and adding to it. Just, you know, say, hey, it's going to be good, but we're going to throw a little lanyap on top of that, you know. <laughs> and so uh, <clears throat> I'm excited about him coming and uh, Dr. Dennis coming. And um, I've told, in fact, I had a phone call, Josiah. Good man. <laughs> he said, what I do? What do you mean, what'd you do? <laughs> no, I got a phone call this week from a lady a few days, just a couple of days ago, that you were trying to tell her about the conference. And she called me. And so I uh, left voicemail, so I called her back. She was so appreciative of that. Said, and she said, I had a privilege of talking to one of your members. Just a fine young man. His name's Josiah. <laughs> and I'm thinking. <laughs> and, um, but she said, I'm from such and such church here in town, been, been a long active member there. She said, but I'm the head, or I don't know if head's the right word, but anyway, she, she's a part of a larger prayer network of people from all around this area who are hungry for a Holy Spirit move of God. And she said, it sounded like that's, that y'all are having something that we're wanting to know about. And so she said, could you please tell me a little bit? So I told him a little bit about Dr. Dennis. And she said, he's not one of these kind of you know, weird. I said, no. He is so solid and down to earth. He's not, he's not hype. He's not going to be dancing and jumping over pews and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, it's solid teaching, solid word, moving in the prophetic gifts. And, and she was so excited. She said, thank you for letting me know. She said, I am now going to get on my phone and start calling people. So there's people in the area. They're praying and they're hungry for a genuine move of God. And um, so I just, you know, we've got to get ready, you know. So anyway, so let me get into the message this morning. I'm going to read from Isaiah 43, verse 16 and 19 to start with. And uh, uh, let's just go with this. Anyway, this is what the Lord says. He who made a, path, made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, See, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The message this morning is simply called expandable or expendable. The last couple of weeks, um, I've been reflecting on a, a, 
a part of a recording that I was given years and years ago, uh, maybe a year or so after the Brownsville revival broke out in the mid-90s. I remember I had brought some people over to Pensacola, Florida, and um, those of you, and you know, you probably think it's strange, but those of you that were there, you, you don't know what I'm talking about. People used to come 8, 10, 12 hours early and stand in line, even in the summer, in a hot parking lot, hoping to get into the sanctuary. And so one day I was there with several people, and this guy comes down the line, a student there, came down the line and says, are you a pastor? Are you a pastor? And he was looking for pastors, and he had a cassette tape. It was about like 93 minutes long, 92 minutes long cassette tape, and it had on there that something, I guess, he or somebody had put together called Revival Fire, and it was a compilation of musics, of, of preaching, of old-time recordings, of prophecies, of uh, baptisms, of all kinds of stuff. And that tape, that, that, that recording changed my life. It literally changed my life. I, I, I got to where I listened to it 10, 12, 15 times a day. And then God put us on the road in, in ministry, and I was coming across pastors who were defeated and beat down, and I started, I called a guy, I said, can I, I make copies of this tape and give it away to people? And I started giving it to pastors, and pastors were coming back saying, man, the, the anointing that's on that thing. And I've put it on our website many times before, and you can, you can find it online probably, but if not, let me know, and I'll give you a link to it. It's in an MP3 format now, so you can listen to it on your phone or, you know, whatever. But there's a part in that... Um, recording that has been going over and over and over again in my spirit. And it's uh, the reflection of an older man who was a witness to the Hebrides revival that took place in, from 1949 to 1952. And the Hebrides are a series of islands, about 100 islands actually, small islands north of Scotland. And um, many of them are uninhabited, but there are some that have people there. Obviously, if there was a revival, it had to have people there. <laughs> and, um, but uh, Reverend Duncan Campbell, who was used mightily during the revival, <clears throat> even though he was not the initiator of it, he, he didn't plan it, he didn't put it together, he summed up what God did on those islands uh, in this way. And I'm going to put it up on the screen so you could see this. He says, it takes the supernatural to break the bonds of the natural. You can, you can make a community mission conscious. You can make a community crusade conscious. But only God can make a community God conscious. Then he went on and said, just think about what would happen if God came to any community in power. I believe that day is coming May God prepare us for all, let prepare all of us for it. And so, um, again, it, this, this fit in with this, this uh, recording, and, and, and I'm going to let you listen to it in just a moment. It's only about a little over a minute long, this one little section. And, uh, but this gentleman was doing some research on the Hebrides revival, so he went over to that area, and he checked into like a boarding house type thing. 
and come to find out that the people running the place, the gentleman there was one of a handful of the founding group that were a part of that, that revival. And he came face to face. So here, here he was on a research trip to try and get information. He checks into a place and come to find out the guy that's running the place was one of the original people involved in it. Sound like God to you? I mean, you know, right? And so he said, what could you tell me? And I'm going to let you listen to this about a minute or so audio clip. Sorry, I don't have the words on the screen, but you listen up. They'll, they'll crank it up real loud so you can hear, okay? <laughs> and as part of his research, well, you bring it down. he went to the Hebrides to actually uh, research the history of the Hebridean revival. And he finished up, amazingly, he, he, he booked into the guest house, which was run by an elderly couple. And the guy who was the father of the house was actually one of the fathers of the revival. And so he found himself without trying, sitting right at the feet of someone who could tell him a lot of information. This guy said to him, you know, with tears in his eyes, he said, there's six of us who were like the fathers of the Bible who's still alive. He said, we meet together occasionally when our wives are in bed. He said, we sit there and we talk about those days and he said, we can't stop crying. And he said this, he said, the reason that the Hebridean revival failed because the leadership didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to structure it. They didn't know how to prepare a wineskin for, for what God was doing. And it faltered and it failed. And this old man got hold of my friend, who's probably about 30 years of age, grabbed him by the collar, looked at him in his, in his eyes, his piercing eyes looking at him, and he said, Son, when you get it, whatever you do, don't let go of it. So if you, if you understood that, he was talking about the fact that he said there were, at that time there was only about six men left from that original group. And it started with prayer. They started meeting from 10 at night till 2 and 3 in the morning, like three times a week in prayer. There were other people on different islands that began praying. And, uh, but he said, um, uh, he, he said, here was the thing. He said the reason that it eventually ceased and, and here's what he said. He said that the leadership and the people didn't know how to structure a wineskin for the work of God. Or he, at the end, he said he, they didn't know how to structure a wineskin to prepare for the work that God was doing. This has been going over and over in my heart for, for at least two weeks now. Um, <clears throat> I've studied so many past revivals just because I'm, I like history but I, there, I always think there's something to glean from those, those, those events. And uh, I, I remember years ago reading uh, uh, an intense background on the Welsh Revival, which happened in Wales from about 1904 to 1905. And it's another example of a sovereign move of God. I'm, I, I'm telling you, I'm not talking about somebody who prepared something but just God sovereignly interrupts, breaks in, begins to do something new, okay? And, it, and, and hit, if you go to Wikipedia, here's what they'll tell you. Concerning the Welsh Revival, it was the largest Christian revival in Wales during the 20th century. They said it was the most dramatic in terms of the effect on the population. That's what we want. 
isn't it? Isn't it? We want a move of God that impacts our population. Pastor Josh is always talking about that when we pray. We want it, and we don't want it just to, if it only works in here, then it's not God because God's bigger than this, okay? I mean, he can work here, but the point is that he, it goes out into the streets because that's where God is wanting to work. And it says that the, the Welsh revival triggered revivals in multiple other countries, and the movement kept the churches of Wales filled for years to come. They gave an example. There was one church, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Swansea, that they were constantly having to bring out extra chairs to put in the aisles for over 20 years as a result of that, re that revival, okay? And meanwhile, they said they traced the fact that there, was, there were spiritual awakenings that took place in the rest of Britain, Scandinavia, parts of Europe, North America, the mission fields in India, the Orient, Africa, Latin America, all sprung up from this year and a half, two-year revival movement that God did in Wales. But it too, history shows, ended because the people who were the leaders or the, the influencers of, of the communities tried to begin to control it. And, and, and not, they weren't open and flexible to what God was doing. And history of that revival shows that the leaders tried to fashion it into a structure that they already knew. Now, if, if God could have done it or wanted to do it in that way, he wouldn't have broke out and done it, and done it in the way that he did it, right? I mean, God says, I'm going to do a new thing. And so he says, you need to understand it. He said, do you not perceive that, okay? And so that last part in that recording, he said that they, they didn't know how to prepare the wineskins for the move of God that was coming. And that has really struck a chord in my heart. And that's why I came up with this message, expandable or expendable. Now, you might just think that's a cute little play on words, but it's not. Because I'm going to show you what expandable means. Expandable means flexible, resilient, supple, stretchy, pliant. Okay? We got an idea what that is, right? Okay? Look, look at the name. Expendable means dispensable, unessential, unneeded, non-essential. In other words, one is something that can be used because it is flexible and it's, it's pliable and it's and supple and all those things, but the other one is dispensable because it's unneeded and it's unessential and non-essential. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> So if you look in Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at it in a minute, uh, but Mark chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 5, there's a story that is brought up three different times. And it's not in John's gospel, but it is in the three other gospels there. So I think it's important to understand when Jesus is saying something three times, you know, by three different people. I mean, wake up and take notice, right? So the Bible tells us that one day the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came, came to Jesus and he asked him this question. In Matthew 9, 14, it's on the screen. He says, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Now, this isn't really intriguing to me because John, when he began his ministry, what happened? 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees came from all over the place to check this guy out. Now, I wish I had the time to explain to you, but the, there was a process in determining whether or not a message being preached was of heaven or of God or whatever. And the first thing they would do is they would just come and listen. They would never say anything, the religious leaders. Then they'd go back and they'd compare notes. And if they said, if this needs further investigation, then they would come and they would, be, they would not only listen, but they would expand the group that was listening. And they might write down a few things to go back and confer. And then they would come back together and they'd send some people. But this time they're not listening, they're asking questions. And so John the Baptist is preaching. We know the story and John looks up and sees the religious leaders, and he says, you den of vipers. <laughs> You're a bunch of snakes, that's what you are. You come crawling down here to listen to me. I mean, that's the way to build a church, boy. I mean, <clears throat> that'll work, right? And, and so uh, he, he told him, he said, You're another, you know, Jesus later tells him, you're nothing but whited sepulchers. In other words, you painted over graves is all you are, you religious leaders. So I, I think it's funny in a way, or ironic probably is a better word, that the disciples of John the Baptist, who preached against the Pharisees, basically, he, he, they, they come to Jesus to say, why do your disciples not fast like we do and the Pharisees? So they're kind of joining camps on that. You know, you see what I'm saying? They started off kind of opposed to each other, but all of a sudden now, now they're like, Jesus is kind of, you know, not fitting their mode, and so now they're over in the same camp together. How many of you see what I'm talking about there? Okay, and so basically what they asked Jesus is, why are your disciples not as religious as us? Why are they not doing the religious things that we do? And then even the Pharisees do, as if that's supposed to add some kind of authority to it, <laughs> you know? And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 9, verse 16 and 17. He said, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. And neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Well, John's disciples, I have a feeling, missed the whole point of what Jesus was trying to point out. He wasn't trying to tell them how to make better wine. He wasn't trying to give them a recipe like, like, this is the way you make wine, you know. What Jesus was trying to show them that, that he was bringing a new way of life and their mindset was stuck in an old way. And that it, the two were not compatible. That's what he was basically saying, okay. So when Jesus spoke about this, he was answering those who were questioning him about his disciples who did not adhere to the customs and traditions of the Jews. In, in, in other words, not just the religious leaders, but of the everyday Jews because the leaders were leading the people in their religion, so the Jews were following those traditions. So Jesus was basically upsetting everybody. I mean, he's upsetting everything, okay? And Jesus was making the point that their rigid, inflexible way of worshiping God was, was like a dried-up old wineskin. And Jesus was trying to say that he was bringing a new wine, 
and it was not going to fit in their traditional customs and traditions. And the Jewish leaders were more interested in keeping their traditions than they were even in keeping the law of Moses. And, and, and I can, if you go back and study it, you'll understand this, but the, the religious leaders, you know, the law, God gave Moses the law, okay? But when the Jewish religious leaders came across something they didn't like, then they, circum they would try to circumvent that law by building a tradition around it. In fact, the Jew Jewish people, uh, leaders will tell you they were built basically to keep you from violating the law. They built a fence around it so that you wouldn't violate the law, but you would violate the, the fence they put around it. And that's why Jesus sometimes says, he says, you have violated the, the law of God but it says that Jesus would not keep the law of man. And they made, they made more than double the amount of laws that God gave to keep you from violating the laws that they had. So imagine they just built all these traditions. Like you couldn't only travel so far on the Sabbath. So what they would do is go, okay, you can only go so far. You can go like travel X amount of miles on the Sabbath. So religious leaders would buy property rich people would buy property x amount of miles apart from each other so they could say i haven't really traveled because i'm I, I went from my home to my home i'm still in my home so i can go to further down the road and oh i have a home there and i can stay there but i'm trying i'm allowed to travel x and x amount of distance from my home so you buy four homes so you can just keep on doing what you want to do that's just an example and, and, and it's true. That's what they would do. And so the, they would circumvent the law. And Jesus later confronted them and said, you have made the word of God invalid because of your tradition. And so wineskins were just that. They were, they were containers that were made from the skin of certain animals. And they were tanned. And, and, and then they were stitched together to be able to hold liquids, okay? Um, the process when making a batch of new wine, anyone who's studied, you know that there's a fermentation process involved in it. Has anybody ever had like a jar of grape juice in your refrigerator maybe for a long time and then have you ever just picked it up and took a swig out of it and found out that it's turned to vinegar? I have, and that's when I learned, smell it first, you know. In fact, to, today, I, to this day, somebody's probably wondering why we use white grape juice, because I cannot drink regular grape juice, and you don't want to know the story behind that, but it was a three-and-a-half-day-old story, and to this day, in 40 years, I have not drunk regular grape juice. We use white grape juice. And I use the reason because it doesn't stain. It doesn't. <laughs> but it also doesn't taste like that other kind of grape juice. And if you serve me regular grape juice, I'm going to pass. I'm just telling you. That's the way it is. But in new wine, when it's being made, when it's put into new wineskin, it has to set and a fermentation begins to process 
It goes from being grape juice into wine. And when that happens, it generates carbon dioxide that causes that wine skin to begin to expand and stretch. New wine skins will expand. Because though they've been tanned, they're still supple. They're still, they're still soft and pliable, okay? I mean, I'll give you, But old wine skins have dried out, and they're not as flexible, if flexible at all. And if you put new wine in, what happens is as the gas begins to grow inside of it, that old rigid wine skin will burst, and the scripture says that both the wineskin and the new wine are lost. And we're going to come back to that in a minute because that's, that's important. But both are lost in that process. And, and this, this moment addressed by Jesus, I believe, is pressing for the church today in America. I really believe that. Why? It's pressing personally and it's pressing corporately. Okay, so I'm going to intertwine these things, but you'll see what I'm talking about. New wine is symbolic in the Bible for the Holy Spirit and, and is used in various illustrations all throughout the Scripture. But let me just give you a couple quick points here. Jesus spoke of new wine in association of a move of God. We just read it in Matthew 9, 17. Neither do people put new wine in old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and they are preserved. Here's the key, <clears throat> and this is where so many Christians are missing it, and many churches are missing it. It's not about the wine skin. It's about the new wine. The, the only reason for a wineskin is wine. I mean, if, the, if you're just making wineskins and hanging them on a wall, what's the point? I mean, the purpose of a wineskin is for making of wine. The emphasis should be on the new wine, not the container that's holding it, okay? And the purpose of the wineskin is, is just that. And, and as I've studied past revivals and movements of God throughout history, each and every one of them is unique in some way. They started differently. They happened sovereignly. They happened in response to prayer. They happened in response to a divine intervention. The list goes on and on and on and on. But each time, it was about God, what God was doing. When you go back and read revivals, if you're, if it, old revivals, it was about what God was doing, God was saying. It was unique to that time. It was unique for a purpose, and that's what it's about. So the focus should not be on the wine skin. It ought to be on the new wine, okay, and what God is doing and what God is saying. The second thing is new wine is associated with a harvest. In Amos chapter 9, verse 19, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by one treading grapes. And new wine will, will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. See, God is all about the harvest. I say God is all about the harvest. He invested his only son, Jesus, and he expects a return on his investment. 
Okay, I mean, I could give you parables about that, the parables of the talent, whatever. God says he expects a return on his investment. He didn't send his only son to die on a cross, be in a tomb, then be raised again for nothing. He expects something from what he sowed and put in the ground and what is coming forward. So God is already at work in the earth, and it is accelerating. Now, you may not see it. I may not see it, but I could tell you from reports that I'm hearing from all over the place, God is up to some stuff, man. And I mean, I cannot remember. It's been decades since I have heard of so many tent revivals that are taking place all across America right now. And these tents are filled not with Christian people. The majority of them are lost people who know nothing, who are looking for an answer in the midst of trouble. I told you a few weeks ago, the devil's overplayed his hand. And he's brought a misery in next that's like off the scale. And people are saying there has to be more to life. And those who are hearing the call, the new wine that's being poured out, and new wineskins are being raised up, they're going, I'll get me a tent. I'll find me a parking lot. I'll do whatever I got to do. And I'm going to share about Jesus. And God is drawing people by the thousands I heard a tent maker a couple of weeks ago. He said, we cannot keep up with the orders for revival tents. He said, in fact, people are placing orders for like a thousand seat tent. And they call back in four, five, six weeks, Tiger. And they go, can you make it 1,800? And one tent guy said, they call back two weeks later, said, forget that 1,800. We need a 3,000 seat tent. And he said, we're so backlogged in making tents. I'm thinking, really? Tents? I remember those days. <clears throat> And I said, but I'm like, Josh, I thank God for the AC. <clears throat> yeah, but you know what? If God is moving on the back 40 or somewhere, it doesn't matter what it is, where it is, or anything else. I said, I'm going to sniff it out, and I'm going to find it. Come on now. See, we don't hear things like that. All we hear is the, the, the steady stream of the negative from media and everything else. But God is moving. But here's the danger, and, and, and please hear what I'm saying. The danger of any move of God, and I'm talking about the current moving of God or the one that's coming down the pike, is not from people outside the church who have nothing to do with religion or God. In fact, it's those that are outside the church that God is targeting with the pouring out of the new wine. The reason that he needs the new wine poured out and new wineskins is because there's a harvest to come in. And if the old wineskins are not going to do it, he'll raise up new wineskins that will. He's targeting those that are out there. The biggest danger to a move of God is not from outside the church. It's from within. You say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? Oh, listen. I've heard them for years. I've seen it. The critics, they'll say, this isn't a move of God because when he moved last time, he did it like this. Or they'll say, this isn't God because it's too disruptive to our order of things. <clears throat> and 
God is a God of order. Or they'll say, this isn't God because it's unpredictable. <clears throat> and God is predictable. <clears throat> yeah. As well, yeah, right. Not in my lifetime. <clears throat> I'm telling you, he's taking me down some paths, throwing obstacles in my way that I'm like, what in the world are you doing, God? But those who would think these things are, and any other responses, I would remind them, John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is it with everyone born of the Spirit of God. And then if that's not enough, how about Romans 8 and 14, that for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. <clears throat> And the key is that last part, that part that I've underlined, led by the Spirit of God. It's being led by the Spirit, not us trying to move the Spirit the way we want Him to. I'm telling you, trying doing that's like herding cats. It, it ain't going to work. I mean, God says, I'm going this way. He said, but we want you to go this way. Jesus, when He was on the earth, he constantly spoke and he worked contrarily to the religious system. And can I tell you, he hasn't changed. While he would like to work, listen to me clearly when I'm saying this, while he would like to work, like the church to work, uh, the church of today to work with him, people would rather have Jesus work with them. And they've forgotten that he's the head and we're the body. The third thing is, where there is new wine, new wineskins are needed. Now listen to me, because I want to make sure I get this right. God pours out his spirit into new holy vessels. Again, the scripture says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. And the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. There's a twofold danger there. Not only the loss of the message of the new wine, but the, but the wineskins, the carriers and holders of it, they will be lost too. They'll be ruined. It says, no, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And, and why is that important? Because Jesus is pointing this out because you can become an old wineskin. He wouldn't say, talk about old wineskins if it wasn't possible to become one. And so what causes a wineskin to become old and rigid? It's empty. It's dry. The thing that it was created to be and serve, a container of wine, it's no longer that. It's been hung up somewhere, put somewhere, cast aside somewhere. And over the time, it has become dried out and brittle and ready to break. It says, neither do people pour out new wine into old wineskins. See, it's what, you know, it's, it's like... Imagine pouring all the wine out 
and thinking tomorrow I need to refill that with some more wine. But we get busy, don't fill it. Week goes by, two weeks, month, two months, whatever. And eventually that thing has dried out from the inside as well as the outside. And then when you come across it, oh, I meant to, I was going to do that, I forgot. Now it's probably too late because it's become dry and empty. And this is something personally and corporately we need to pay attention to. Because I have seen people that once were active in what God was doing. I say God was doing, not man was doing. Okay? And then over time, the wine of God's word stopped flowing through their life. Their prayer, their prayer life began to dwindle. And then what happens is they begin to reason that what they have will last them, but they're wrong. It won't, it won't do it. When God took Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness, he told him, he said, I'm going to provide heavenly bread, heavenly manna for your sustenance. But here's the rule. You can't go out and get a week's worth because you don't want to. You're, you know, in our minds, we think, oh, I'll just get enough for the next four days so I don't have to go out there again. But what God was trying to teach him was that you're going to have to depend on me daily. And we, we are told that there were some who, who didn't want to wait and, and didn't want to have to go back out again. So they gathered two days worth. And when they got up the next morning thinking, <laughs> they're all out there getting that bread. We've already got it. And they opened it up. The Bible says it was full of maggots. Brother, sister, can I tell you, if you've ever had anything filled with maggots, the smell will knock you off your feet. And whereas that new heavenly bread should have been something that was a heavenly scent to the nostril, instead it was this ungodly smell because they violated God's word. The only day they could collect more was what? The day before the Sabbath. And then God preserved that food because it was a day of not working. And my point in trying to tell you this is that Jesus spoke about new and old wineskins because it is possible to become an old wineskin. And, and I want you to notice something, and that is that the condition of the old wineskin is that it is no longer able to hold anything new or hold anything at all. Because when it, it dries out, it begins to crack and it, it develops leaks. And even if you just put water in it, it's probably going to pour out. It's going to leak out. And, and in fact, the more dry and brittle it becomes, it can't hold anything. It was meant to be a container. It can't hold anything. And, and at that time, it becomes expendable because it becomes useless. It's unnecessary. It can't function in the manner that it was supposed to. Can I tell you that denominations are like that? Local churches are like this. People 
are like this. And they think if God is going to move, he'll surely move in a manner that we approve and we like. Can I tell you, that's probably not going to happen. In fact, in the 52 years I've been walking with Jesus, he's probably going to pick the thing that irritates you the most. You say, he wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, he will. I'm just telling you, he, he will. And he'll use a person that irritates you the most. I can't tell you how many times years ago I would say, anybody stupid enough to listen to that person. And then God uses that person in my life. And I'm going, oh, hello, stupid. You know, I mean, if God can use a donkey to talk to a prophet, come on now, then don't put God in a box because I'm telling you, he's about to bust your box and you're not going to like it. And, and, and Jesus is pointing out that it, it, he's not pointing out that it's necessary to cast the past aside. Please hear me. He is not saying, oh, well, God did this in the past, so just forget everything from the past and he throw it away because it's not going to be there. And we're going to create a whole new structure, a whole new institution. And, and can I tell you, that's not what he's saying. In fact, if you create a whole new structure and a whole new institution, eventually, over time, it'll become as rigid as the old wineskins that you've cast aside. I'm just telling you, that's just the nature of, of who we are as human beings. And, and, um, what, and, and, and I'm not saying cast those things aside. I'm thankful for the heritage and the things that God has done in my life. Just the other day, my wife and I were talking about something that we hadn't thought of in 40 plus years where God did something so incredible and we shared it with someone. They go, I've never heard anything like that before. How many were here last week and I talked about the guy that grew up from being a midget? I remembered his name after church. His name's Jimmy Maynard. And you can go online and find it. And, uh, but most people go, grew out a midget. God don't do that. And somebody would say, that's not proper to say midget. It's little people. Well, he called himself a midget. So that's what I call him. You know, hey, that's what he was. <laughs> that's the way it was. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying we have to throw everything aside because that, that's dangerous. God builds Principle upon principle upon principle. Truth, truth upon truth upon truth. Precept upon precept. And if you study denominations, they'll take the truth that they had, but the revelation that God gives them, like justification by faith. I am saved by faith, not by works. So then a whole denomination is founded on the justification by faith. And then another group will come along and go, but you got to be water baptized. So they add that to it. And they make another whole group. And and we're famous for doing stuff like that. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is the new wine of heaven can only flow through people who are willing to receive the teaching about what God is doing now. The problem is so many times is that the only testimonies we have is of what God did in the past. And I thank God for those testimonies. I, I love the stories. I share the, some of those stories with you out of my own personal life. 
But I cannot live on what God did yesterday, last week, last month, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Because God is moving. He's doing something different. And you say, well, why is it different? Are you talking about compromising in God's word? Absolutely not. But can I tell you that the way we used to do things has to be changed because of those that we're trying to reach. I remember the days, Brother Josh, when we would sing, this, they called them songs off the wall. The old time he preached, would go, that church sings off the wall songs. Well, that sounds like it's, they're bad. But we used to have these transparencies, remember? Anybody been in a church like that? And had transparency, and there was somebody sat there with a box of transparencies, right? And they're singing this song. And well, they'd flip that thing on the overhead projector up there, you know, and God help them if they got the wrong song. You know, everybody's going, we can't even sing it. We don't know what song they're on, you know. And if it's got like four verses, they're like flipping back and forth like that. Or like a pastor friend of mine, he's now going to be with the Lord. He's my best friend. And he would make up the overhead transparencies for his church, but he had dyslexia. <clears throat> and we went to a youth rally. All the churches in the West Monroe, Monroe area came together. And he was so proud because his youth group was doing the, leading the worship. And, but I noticed that every song that had the word God in it had the word dog in it. Our dog is an awesome dog, he reigns. I went over and tapped him on the shoulder. I said, Mike, did you proofread these things? He said, yeah, I spell checked them. Well, dogs spelled right, but I don't think dogs was supposed to be up there. And he looked at me. He looked at me. He goes, oh, my dog. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, he said, we got to leave now. I said, why? He said, because the next 10 overheads got dog on it too. And I said, well, spell catcher ain't going to catch that. Maybe grammar checker would, you know. But, and so he said, come on, let's go. He said, you got your car here? I said, well, yeah, I didn't walk 15 miles to get here. He said, let's go. I said, where? He goes, anywhere but here. And we took off out. My, my point is this, that anybody today would look at that and go, that's so ridiculous. Because we live in a late age of electronics and all that kind of stuff, so we just throw stuff up on the screen. But even still, now they got LED walls you can put up and, you know, all kinds of 3D junk and all that. I'm just telling you, culture has changed. The society has changed. So the method in which we reach them has to be changed. But the message stays the same. The truth stays the same. The, it, 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 that's just the way it is. So if that means that God needs new wineskins, then God will find those individuals who are willing to say, Lord, here I am, use me. And again, the wineskin is for the wine, not the other way around. Now let me say something, because this is important. God needs old wineskins. But there's a caveat. Because some of you are looking at me going, you just said you were making new wineskins because old wineskins were not good. No. He needs old wineskins that are still filled with new wine. 
because there's a generation coming up of new wineskin holders with new wine who need direction and guidance and wisdom how to handle that which God is bringing across their path. But the key is that if all they keep in them is old wine, it will go bad. He needs old wineskins to stay filled with the wine of the Spirit of God. If you remember a couple years ago, those that were here at that time, I shared a vision that the Lord had shown me one Wednesday morning in prayer about a house that had been destroyed by a storm on a beach. Anybody, any, was anybody here? So, three or four of you. Um, but in this, and I'm gonna try to go through this quickly. I was praying up here, I was kneeling right over there, and then all of a sudden, I just felt like I was being moved. And it was like when I opened my eyes, I was standing like on the Gulf Coast down, it was a rocky area on the Gulf Coast, and this, this uh, foundation of a house had been destroyed by a storm. The foundation was spotless clean, but there was one two-by-four in the corner and one leaning against it. And I looked at it, and all the wood, you know, if you've ever seen the storms get hit by hurricanes, they don't just leave it clean. They just collapse in and implode, and, and that stuff's everywhere. But this one was standing, and I remember thinking, well, need to get busy rebuilding this. And Holy Spirit said, no, look out in the ocean. And I looked from a great distance. I saw a wave beginning to build. And I knew from my California days as a teenager surfing, if I could see a wave that far off, by the time that wave gets in, it's going to be huge. And Holy Spirit said, that's the wave of my glory that's coming to my church and he said, I tore this down, back down to the foundational truths of the church because the church that was in existence cannot handle what is coming. And, and he said, so what needs to be rebuilt needs to be rebuilt back on the truths here. And he said, because I'm sending a wave of my glory the world has yet to see. And, and it fits. God said, old wineskins can't handle it tear it down, throw them away, whatever, build new wineskins. I'm just telling you that God needs new wineskins. And so, Pastor, you, people might be saying, well, Pastor, uh, is there any hope for me? I, I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm spiritually dry. My, my spiritual life is almost non-existent. My wineskins become brittle because I've become dry. I've become empty. Maybe uh, for whatever reason... It's not the way it used to be. There is a process to restore the suppleness of like leather or a, or a skin. I remember as a boy, I had a, my first really good baseball glove. And man, it shined, it was smooth, it was flexible. I kept dropping balls with my old glove because it was so stiff that when you go to grab it, I couldn't, hold it, I couldn't close it enough to get the ball. And so I remember, I think it was about my eighth or ninth birthday, they gave me a brand new ball glove. I was so excited. I said, look, I could squeeze it. I could close it. I can open it. I could flap it. I, could, I was so, it was great. And I played with it like a whole season. And then wintertime came and we lived up in the Northeast and it got cold, you know, so that base, ball glove ended up in the basement somewhere. And when springtime came around, guess what? That ball glove was not as supple as it used to be. It wasn't as flexible. But I tried to play with it anyway, and I, I went through a whole season with it like that. But 
Boy, I'd take it off and do like this because my hands would hurt because it wasn't flexing with my hand. And again, another winter went by. I ended up in the basement again. And by the next spring, that ball glove was almost worthless. And I thought, Mama, I need new gloves. She goes, we just got you one two years ago. Anybody here have your parents tell you that? Just got you one. That was two years ago. Just got you one. And, um, and, and, but my coach, I, I was complaining about it. He heard it. He said, well, have you rubbed oil into it? I said, what do you mean? He said, they make a bomb or oil for it. And he said, you can't just pour like a whole thing on it. You've got to take it and rub it in gently and begin to work it and work it. And it's not a one-time thing. You've got to do it over and over. And as time goes by, it restores the usefulness of your ball glove. And so every night I'd come home and I'd work it and work it and work it and work it. Man, and several weeks went by and all of a sudden, man, that thing was almost back. Right, but I kept working it. And look, once it came back to where it was supposed to be, I still did it every day. Because otherwise it was going to go back to the way it was. And I'm just telling you, oil in the, in the Bible is also representative of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. The oil must be carefully put in. It must be done over a consistent period of time. And the oil begins to make it supple and limber and flexible, but it doesn't happen overnight. But it must have a starting point. Some people would say, well, I'll just throw it aside and just go buy a new one. The thing is that it can be restored. And in the same way in our own lives, it can be restored. Now, I'm going to tell a personal story that I've not shared before. And, and um, I just feel like Holy Spirit wants me to tell you this. And I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit in my own personal life. And, um, and then we're going to get ready to pray. But um, in my early years of ministry, um, I was on staff in one church, and my, my, my job was to figure out all the problems of the church and fix everything like in seven or eight different areas. And then in two years, God had me go start a church in an area that did not have an evangelical Pentecostal witness of any kind. And um, that was hard work. And then God sent me up north Louisiana where the food wasn't any good. And, you know, because I had been in South Louisiana for seven years. And, um, but to the third oldest church in the Assemblies of God in Louisiana. And the, the board said, God needs to bring change. We need God to send a man here to help bring change. But So I thought that meant the people wanted to change, and I learned that they didn't want to change. They wanted it to stay exactly the way it was. And that was five years, four years of hell on earth for me. The fifth year, God broke out. It was phenomenal. And God just did a work in that church. And then God said, your time is done. And I was like, no! And he sent me to a church down in South Louisiana, the other side of Baton Rouge area, that was in the middle of a civil war. That's the way it was described to me. I mean, it was rough. And I wasn't there but a few months, and they just said, I don't know who you are thinking you're going to come in here and change the way we do our stuff. And they said, we're cutting off your paycheck. Well, the paycheck was so small to start with, but I mean, it was something. 
right? I mean, you know. And so they, they said, we'll starve them out. And so that was the time that, that I used to build computers. And that's when you could build a computer cheaper than you could buy one. If you went to the store to buy a computer, it cost you two or $3,000. I could build it for four, five, six hundred. And so I built computers and I repaired computers. And uh, now they build them to where they're so cheap, they just throw away. You know, every couple of years, just throw away, get another one. And uh, so I did that night and day. And I was still trying to pastor this church. But I'm just telling you, because of the attack that was coming against me and my family, working 18 hours a day trying to just keep the electricity on my spiritual priorities got out of whack until I was so empty inside and one night about midnight I'd been working on a computer for some lady I had it just where it would have been fine, but I'm one of those guys, I want to tweak it to the, anybody ever do that? And I just did this little tweak, boom, the whole system crashed. And I remember I was sitting, straddling the floor, I was sitting down, that computer between my legs, and I picked it up over my head and I threw it against the wall. Bam! They go a hole in the wall now. And a computer in pieces that can't be fixed. And I just broke in tears. And my wife was in the living room, but she didn't get up and come see what was going on. Smart lady I married. And, uh, Finally, I just broke down crying so hard, Pastor Josh, because I was past my wit's end. I was at the end, beyond the end of my rope. And I walked out into the hallway, and my wife was sitting there reading a book, and she kind of looked up. I guess she was looking to see if she needed to duck or, you know, and um, was I getting ready to throw something else or what? And I remember I stood in the framework of that doorway tears pouring out my face I said I don't know how I got here but I've had enough and I'm serving warning on you right now that I am going to do whatever it takes to get back to what I used to know she looked at me and she said okay so I'm just warning you back to my room and I sat down on the floor and I had a come to Jesus moment and I said Holy Spirit I know you're not done with me yet please restore me and I felt the balm of Gilead the hands of the Spirit beginning to work in my, in my inside about a week or so went by and somebody sent me a pre-production copy 
Tommy Tenney's book, The God Chasers. I devoured that book. I said, this man has crawled inside of me. I couldn't read a half a chapter without weeping and crying. I, I just, I was like, oh, that's me. That's me. Oh, God, it's me. And, and, and going, through, I read the book like five times in five days and just weeping and crying and weeping. I stopped everything. I didn't eat. I didn't watch TV. I didn't work on computers. I was ready to throw them all in the trash. But I couldn't do that because they belonged to other people. But I'm reading it, and it was just like God was working that oil into my life. And he was saying, there's something there, there's something there, there's something there. I was waking up in the middle of the night with such a hunger to go sit in the living room with my pad of paper and my Bible and just listen to the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm just telling you, that went on for months, months. But when God got done, he brought a supernatural event in my life in Westlake, Louisiana. And the next Sunday, I was resigning the church where I was because God had thrust me and my wife out in revival ministry in churches across America because I had a message that God wants to revive the church through the Holy Spirit and fresh wine and fresh oil from the throne. And God began opening doors. And I'm telling you, we went to our first meeting for three days. We ended up three and a half weeks. They said, come back in two weeks. We ended up there for four and a half months. Every meeting we went to that was scheduled for a Sunday only ended up being a two-week, three-week, four-week, five-week event. Then we go on to another place and it went on like that for I don't know how long. I mean, God was just moving because God had said, I need old wineskins and I need to restore them and I need to bring them out. But they have to be willing to let me do what I want to do, how I want to do it, in the manner in which I want to do it. And they got to say, yes, no conditions and I'm telling you God has done it he's been doing it he's still doing it my life and what I want to close by telling you is this that yes God can use a meeting and he can touch you he can put you flat on the floor a couple weeks ago when we went to Houston to hear Dr. Dennis hadn't told anybody this but he want, they wanted to pray for anybody who wanted prayer and they had a number of people praying for people. And I was just standing there with my wife. And, and he came to me and, and he, 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 he put his hand on. And God began to speak to him. And, and before I knew it, I was flat on my back on the floor. And I haven't been down on the floor. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm leery about people who put a hand on you and start pushing, you know. I've done it before. I know a guy. I will never have him here again. Uh, he's never been here, but he's been to a couple much. But he'll come in, and he'll even put two hands in, like, and I've gotten there like, try and do it, Jack. You're going to look stupid. And, and he's like, Jesus. I said, even Jesus ain't going to knock me down, buddy. It ain't going down for no reason. It's got to be God. And, and I mean, I went down. And I was sitting on the floor and I was like, brother came along and said, let me help you up. I said, it's going to take more than one of you to get me up. I said, man, I feel like concrete. The back half of, from my hip down felt like concrete. I said, I can't even move my legs. And, and see, I believe in that stuff. 
but that in and of itself is not going to make the change that can be the launching point that can be the starting place but God does that to be able to kind of nudge you saying are you going to trust me now are you willing to step out are you willing to let me move you are you willing to change your life your routine or whatever it is that I need God said I'll meet you part way but you got to do something I'm telling you that man said, he said, the revival died because the people didn't know how to prepare a wineskin. I said, God forbid that Life Church has been chosen to be a new a wineskin of new wine for the Lafayette region. And we get so set in our ways that God can't move. I'm telling you, God's looking for a place to manifest his presence and that the word gets out in the area that God's in the house. That God is in the house. But it's going to require that you and I be open to what God is saying and doing and how we will respond to it. Now, I'm going to say one last thing there. And that's this. Please put it back on the slides. And, and the last thing is this. I want you to see this. Is that God will never violate his word. Anything. And I've noticed. I've underlined anything. Anything that is said or done or happens must be measured by the Bible and dealt accordingly in the context of that word. Life Church has to choose. We must choose whether we're going to be expandable or expendable. Do you need to repent? for saying, God, I don't like the change you're bringing. I want my old church back. I'm going to tell you something. God will let you have it, your old church. But he's going to move down the road and find another one. He's going to find, he's going to find some place that's willing to let him work. And when it comes to our own personal lives, I want to ask you, what is the new wine that God is trying to pour into your life at the moment? And are you being flexible like new wineskins in order to receive it without the yearning for what God did in yesterday? And this is what I'm saying is, it's okay what God did yesterday, but to yearn for those days is a dangerous thing because then you're saying, God, I want you back, but I want you the way that I know you and the way that you did it so I can be comfortable with that. Can I tell you, God's not going to do that. He says, there's no faith in that. You're going to have to trust me in what I'm doing. You're going to have to hear me by the Spirit of God. You're going to have to hear what I'm saying. And, I, and, and the Holy Spirit woke me up in the middle of the night and said, there are some in the church today, they're like Saul in the Bible, in the New Testament, who became the Apostle Paul. They're on their way to Damascus. And he said, he said they're, have, they're, they're bound for Damascus experience. You need to warn them. And so here's the scripture, Acts 26, 14 says, And we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
Now, goads is not a word we use, okay? I mean, you know, that doesn't make any sense. So if you look it up, though, an ox goad was a piece of iron that, or a piece of wood even that had a metal tip on the end of it. And, and somebody who was driving like a cart a car of oxen, they would use it to tap or poke the, the cattle, the oxen, to, in the direction that they wanted them to go. Because look, uh, you put four oxen together on a cart, there's no steering wheel, right? So they would use that to kind of, but here's what, here's what, sometimes the animal would rebel against the prodding and they would try and kick the goad. And the result of it was that the goad, as uncomfortable as it might have been with the light tap or prick to move in a certain direction, the ultimate was the goad became driven deeper into its flesh. And the more the ox rebelled, the more it suffered. And Holy Spirit woke me up this morning and said, there's some people here. You're like that. That's where you are right now. God's been prodding and trying to get you to move in a different direction. Maybe not so major, but just a little bit because that little bit leads to where he wants you to go. And he, he said, all your work, all your exertion, and all your efforts have brought you to nothing. He said, but I've created you for a purpose. I have a divine destiny for your life but you must repent and you must just surrender to Jesus. That's the way it is. And if you may be sitting here and say, but I'm a Christian already. And then I think God said, what is it that he's dealing with you about that you're resisting? Again, it's hard to kick against the goats. God's trying to get you off, off center a little from where you want to go and he's trying to move you a little bit and you're kicking against it can I tell you the longer you kick and the harder you kick the more suffering that comes your way until eventually God will let you just go where you want to go but then don't turn around and say God you 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 left me out here hanging you 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 no oh, that's not the way it is you, you must surrender to God or you will become an old wineskin, expendable, unnecessary, unimpacting. Now is the time to repent and ask for Holy Spirit to begin to restore you. In fact, Psalms 51 and 10 should be your prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. I don't know. If you've never surrendered your life to God or if you have, but God's been dealing with you and you've been kind of resisting, you're kind of pushing, whatever, I'm just going to open these altars right now for just a few moments and let you come forward. You don't have to kneel. You can come and stand. You can turn around in your seat if you want to, but if God's dealing with you about something, do not walk out of this place today without letting Him know, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be effective. I want to be new wineskins. I want to be restored. I, whatever it is, I don't know where you're at, but this is the time, and I'm opening this front right now for you to come up here and let God begin to work. And you just tell him, here I am, Lord. That's right. He don't matter how young you are or how old you are. It doesn't matter at all. Can I tell you, he, he, he wants, he's looking for vessels 
that water that can be that new wine can be poured into they're not set in their way they're not established in their mindset they have no preconceived notion can i say that nobody can know the mind of god he is so big and he is so vast in his knowledge and his wisdom he, he, he he's got ideas that all of us together would never be able to come up with none of us and we have to come to that place where we say lord i don't, I don't want to be dried out i don't want to be hung out i don't want to be cast aside i don't want to be useless I don't want to be expendable. God, I want to be expandable. Use my heart. Do whatever you need in me, Lord. But here I am. I'm surrendering to you. Come on. Come on. God's dealing with you. Come on. I shouldn't have to beg and prod you. He's already, you know he's speaking to you. Come on. Come on. Come on. We say, oh, God, if I come up there, I don't know how my husband's going to react. Or I don't know how my wife's going to react. Or I don't know how my parents are going to react. Or I don't know how my kids are going to react. I don't care. Who cares? How is God going to react? How is God going to react? Right where you're at right now, come on, just tell him. God, I want to be used. I want to be flexible. I want to... I, 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 I want, I want to have impact in my life for the cause of Christ and for his kingdom. God, do not let me wither and dry out and become broken and brittle and useless. God, if I ever get that way, bring a wake-up call in my life. Do whatever you have to do in my life. But God, don't let me hang out and dry. Forgive me for being not holding to that which I know to be right. Forgive me, Lord. Jesus. Jesus. Come on. Come on. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Word is not in vain. You, Jesus, my heart's reaching heavenward. Renew us in this day, just like you said you would. Jesus, our heart desire. Your word is not in vain. It's you, Lord. God, our hearts have to be right before our church can be right. We gotta come before you. Tear the fabric open. Come, Jesus, come. Oh, breath of hell, nothing left unshaken. We long. Shouting, tear the fabric open. Come, yes, Jesus, Lord. come. Holy breath of 
Friday. Let us pray for the team members that are going to be coming. There are several that will be coming with Dr. Dennis. 
I don't know who all's coming, but I believe that God has already foreordained this. And let's pray that this week that God just begin to infuse into those individuals the ministry and word that God wants to do in Lafayette. Father, we just come to you right now. And we've put a date on a calendar. But God, I believe that before we ever picked a date, you already picked it. And you established it in our hearts and minds these three days, these four meetings. So we pray right now for the teams that will become, the team members that will become, and those, the ministry team that God, that you will infuse into them, even beginning today, the things for Friday and Saturday and Sunday of next week here in Lafayette. God, we pray that you restore their strength. They've been traveling internationally for two weeks. Restore them, God. Restore their health. Restore their strength. Restore their emotion, everything. Bring rest to their bodies. But God, a fresh word, a fresh word, an insightful word. And then we pray for those in our area that they would be drawn to this place like a moth to the flame. Let the fire of God ignite. And not just a spark, but a fire explodes and draws them in. God, it, it will be like a river that is unleashed and down the main streets of the city and every side street and every tributary and every canal and every place. God, let your spirit be poured out in such a way the long-term impact. God is not about life church. It's not about our name. It's about your name. It's about you. It's your kingdom come and your will be done in earth as it already is done in heaven, Lord. <clears throat> we just say, Lord, come. You are welcome, Holy Spirit. Oh, Mighty God, mighty God. We thank you, Lord, for the team, but we're not looking to man. We're not looking to any man or woman or whatever. God, we're looking to hear from the throne of heaven itself through whatever voice you choose. In whatever manner you speak, let us hear and have clarity of understanding and clarity of vision pray this in Jesus mighty name now, father I want to pray for several of our church members who are battling illness and sickness and some of them a long term time now father in Jesus name your word says that by your stripes we were healed and we speak healing 
and health over them now, even if they may be watching wherever they're at right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, invade that place, invade that room, invade that place where they are right now with the healing touch of your spirit upon their lives. And Father, as we fast before you this week, we do not do it out of obligation. We do not do it with sense of duty. We do it, Lord God, because we it gives us extra time to spend with you. Because you mean more than anything else this world can give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Remember, Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 6, and Sunday morning, 1030, and Sunday night at 6 o'clock, okay? Looking forward to seeing you then. God bless.